Ready? Born ready. Listening to another episode of Where to Party At, your political podcast. All right, party people, get your drink, turn up the volume, settle in. We've got another great show for you today, and we are going to jump right in on our first topic gun rights and gun violence. So, did you really just do that sound for gun rights? <laughs> so, we are all frustrated, I am, I know you are too, by the insane amount of gun violence that is happening in Atlanta and across the country. Now, you know that this is an election year, which means that it's crazy time, right? And we saw a lot of conversation around gun rights uh, in the 2014 governor's race, and it is here again. So in the Georgia General Assembly, Right now, there is a bill, uh, Senate Bill 319-319. It's called the Georgia Constitutional Carry Act of 2021. So, obviously, this is about the Second Amendment. And, by the way, there has been this rabid obsession with the Second Amendment over, like, the past 50 years. But it wasn't always like this. What would have sparked a big debate about the Second Amendment? The Black Panther Party. Take a listen to this. The cop says, are you a Marxist? And he would say, are you a fascist? Are you a Marxist? Are you a fascist? Then the cop said, well, I asked you first. And you say, and I asked you second. <laughs> are you a fascist? <laughs> so, I mean, it's like a standoff. And this is where the dominoes start to fall. The standoff resolves itself peacefully, but the cops in Oakland are not happy, and they, they immediately start running this up the chain. Next thing we know... We've got to protect society from nuts with guns. And I think we should act, and we intend to act. Mulford, State Assembly Mulford, who represented Oakland, is trying to put a bill in to stop the Black Panthers. It's my intention to make it a misdemeanor to have loaded rifles and shotguns and weapons in public places. So this bill, the Mulford Act, is up for debate at the California State Capitol in Sacramento, and Bobby Seale decides the Panthers should be there for the debate and that they should take their guns. So that clip is from a brilliant podcast called More Perfect uh, that breaks down the Supreme Court rulings. So check out that full episode. I'll put it in the show notes. It's about the Second Amendment uh, and obviously highlights the Black Panther Party and this Republican debate about gun rights, uh, which you can clearly see it's very different back then from what it is today. So what is constitutional carry? This is the bill that I just mentioned that's in the Georgia General Assembly. It's basically permitless carry, right? So you don't need a license. You don't need to be trained to carry a particular weapon around. This is already the law in 21 states, including Mississippi and Texas, in fact, Texas just enacted constitutional carry last year. So the gist of constitutional carry is the state's law does not prohibit citizens who can legally possess a firearm from carrying handguns, whether that's openly or in a concealed manner. Therefore, you don't need a permit. Uh, there might be some conditions to that, 
Um, but again, what's interesting about this constitutional carry is that, you know, where you can't constitutionally carry in the state house, in a courtroom. So you can't constitutionally carry around state legislators, right? Or around judges, but you can do it anywhere else. So <laughs> the AJC just released a statewide poll that shows six in 10 Georgia voters strongly disagree that people should be allowed to carry concealed weapons without a license. Now, if you think about Atlanta politics, when a city council uh, proposes legislation that people don't agree with, most of the times, but not all the times, the council will bend to the will of the people, right? Um, I don't think that's going to obviously happen in this bill, in part because it's uh, an election year. And I am of the mind that we should treat gun ownership like car ownership. I know this is a controversial thing for some people, but you should have to prove that you know how to use a weapon. You have a license for it. You have insurance for it. And don't be an idiot, right? Just like if I'm caught reckless driving, I would potentially lose my license. And the same thing should happen for guns. And this is not, I don't know why this has to be controversial, but it really is common sense. And so the whole notion of this bill is, you know, a good guy with a gun can stop a bad guy with a gun, right? That's the whole idea. But if you're really trying to address gun violence and crime, actually get to the root of the problem, right? Actually address and stop the bad guy from having the gun in the first place. Or even getting to the point psychologically where he would commit a crime. So Atlanta journalist George Cheedy, he wrote an interesting article a couple of weeks ago about race and crime in Atlanta. You know, it's kind of interesting. There's this whole Buckhead cityhood debate and folks not feeling safe in Buckhead, which really means white people not feeling safe in Buckhead. But in Atlanta, 90% of homicides last year were by guns. Most gun violence victims knew their killer. And 92% of those murdered in Atlanta were black, and they were overwhelmingly black men. So I think if you look at the job prospects and the education levels of those committing the murders, if you look at their mental health access, look at their neighborhoods, are those neighborhoods blighted? Are houses boarded up? Are there sidewalks? Is there a good quality of life? What's the poverty rate in that neighborhood? So if you focus on the heart of the problem, well, maybe last year we wouldn't have had 160 murders just in Atlanta. Just my thought on that one. Okay, so next let's talk about local control. This is something that you probably have heard a lot uh, coming from Republicans, and it's the idea that I know what's best for my community. I don't want my state or my or the federal government telling me what to do. But the irony is, if you're looking at what's happening in Georgia politics, Republicans right now are trying to ram legislation down the throats of people they don't even represent. Uh, what am I talking about here? So a few episodes back, remember, we talked about State Senator Clint Dixon from Gwinnett, who I actually have never met, and I feel like I should meet him because I've talked about him for probably three or four episodes now. Uh, so he introduced a bill 
to make the Gwinnett County School Board nonpartisan, right? That bill has 12 co-sponsors and not a single co-sponsor is from Gwinnett or is a member of the Gwinnett County Legislative Delegation. Buckhead Cityhood, right? So the effort for Buckhead to make its own city is also being pushed by people who do not represent Buckhead and don't even represent Atlanta. So Senator John Albers, who's a Republican state senator out of Roswell, he has filed separate legislation to broaden the number of countywide offices, countywide seats that the General Assembly can switch from partisan to nonpartisan. So if you think about county commissioners, things of that sort, right? So under that bill, which our friend Clint Dixon is a sponsor of, a co-sponsor of, the General Assembly would be empowering um, a number of county-level offices to become nonpartisan. And this is in part a dig at the Gwinnett County uh, School Board and Gwinnett County in general. You know, question for the people. Isn't nonpartisan a good thing? So this is a big debate, right? You would think, okay, nonpartisan means we're taking the politics out of an issue, right? We're taking it out of the school board. We're taking it out of the city council or the county commission. But the reality is that's not how it's actually going to play out, right? Because it allows um, for you to have a hidden agenda, right? And it encourages... Uh, dark money in a, in a campaign because you don't know who was backing a particular candidate or why. And so that's just something to keep in mind. But on its face, yeah, it sounds like, well, geez, shouldn't these be nonpartisan? Uh, but unfortunately, we're not playing by the rules, so not quite. So um, by the way, the AJC, uh, uh, that poll I mentioned, there were some other really interesting points about kind of the state of Georgia and the state of America, how Georgia voters are feeling about it. A few of them I want to mention here. So number one, do you think the United States is on the right track or the wrong track? 71% of Georgia voters polled said that it's on the wrong track. The country's on the wrong track. Do you think things in Georgia are on the wrong track or the right track? 48% said wrong track. Do you approve or disapprove of Biden's performance? 50, 50% said they strongly disapprove. Do you believe there was widespread voter fraud in the 2020 elections? 56% said no. Somebody should probably tell a few Republicans that one. This one I thought was really interesting. The single most important issue facing Georgia right now, 24% of folks polled said elections and voting. And the second issue was the economy and jobs at 20%. Now, mind you, Georgia is one of Georgia and Metro Atlanta is one of the highest for inflation, right? And so if you think about folks are more concerned about election and voter fraud than they are about the economy. It's kind of peculiar. So when they say election and voting, they're referring to the fraud part of it. Just broadly, right? What's your concern? And it's the election and voting. So I think it's probably a mix. If You know, if you did the cross tabs on that, Democrats are probably thinking voter, uh, 
voter access, right, to the ballot. And then on the Republican side, it's probably voter fraud and that folks are, um, you know, voting who should not vote or don't have the right to vote. Um, probably the most remarkable uh, bullet of all in this conversation or in this uh, poll, are you better or worse off financially than you were a year ago? 42% said they were worse off and only 32% said they were better off this year compared to the same time last year. And so those are some really troubling numbers, right? And what's interesting when you read that and hear that is there's far more interest, far more in passing legislation that's focused on manufactured issues than actually what's impacting people day to day, right? If you are focusing on issues that are related to the economy, that help those 42% of people who say that they're worse off today than they were a year ago, you're going to have a much stronger a city, a much stronger state. All right, so everyone's favorite boogeyman, Donald Trump, came after black women uh, in a recent, uh, he was in, I think, somewhere in Texas uh, doing a rally. And I think black women just might be the ones to take Trump down. Uh, so Trump is being investigated by Fulton County District Attorney Bonnie Willis, a black woman, and she just received approval to convene a grand jury to investigate, quote, the reasonable probability of possible criminal disruptions of the 2020 presidential election. Now, the grand jury is not going to convene until around May, and I don't know how long it's going to take for that process, um, but... It's just kind of interesting to see what, what's going to happen there. Trump is also under investigation in New York, right? So the New York Attorney General, a black woman, is investigating him. Uh, and so far, her office has said they've uncovered significant evidence that the Trump Organization used fraud and misled asset valuations on multiple properties. Shocker. Uh, and then you've got the D.C. Uh, bipartisan investigation, and you know, D.C. is led by a black woman. So listen to what Trump said at this rally this past Saturday. If these radical, vicious, racist prosecutors do anything wrong or illegal, I hope we are going to have in this country the biggest protest we have ever had in Washington, D.C., in New York, in Atlanta and elsewhere, because our country and our elections are corrupt. They're corrupt. So Trump is doing a couple of things here. One, he's trying to discredit these investigations, right? And then two, he is again enlisting his blind followers to do his bidding. Now, don't forget what happened last January when there was discussions of a protest, right? That turned into bloodshed. It turned into a riot. They desecrated the halls of Congress. The January 6th attack was so traumatic for Capitol Police officers. Some of them even committed suicide because they were so traumatized by what happened. So in Atlanta, uh, Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis, she obviously heard that and asked the FBI to do a risk assessment of her office, which I don't blame her. I'd probably do that too, to make sure that she's not vulnerable 
to an attack. And that's just kind of, I mean, it's wild to think about that that is happening. Uh, and it's just like par for the course. We're just, we're so used to it. Uh, Trump has shown time and time again who he is. And it's just remarkable to see Republicans continue to stand up for him when there are so many other Republicans that they could pick in his stead. I, I had a question. Um, do, do you think that this will hurt or help the Purdue, the Trump Republicans in Georgia, you know, with this investigation and all that? Yeah. Well, they, if you look at the data, they don't, they think he's innocent, right? They do think the election was stolen from them. They do think governor Kemp didn't do enough. They do think that Brad Raffensperger didn't do enough. And so all this does is prove them right. Uh, unfortunately. And so they're not playing by the same set of facts that everyone else is. So Keith, I think you will appreciate this next little bit here. Um, thinking about just, you know, I've been kind of following what's going on with Democrats uh, since the Biden election and the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, announced that she is going to seek re-election. Now, previously, she said that she wouldn't vie for another term as Speaker of the House. So to be determined if that is indeed something that she will do. Now, let me tell you all the ages of the House Democratic leadership. Nancy Pelosi, 81. Steny Hoyer, 82. Jim Clyburn, 81. Catherine Clark, 58. Hakeem Jeffries, 51. Okay, you got three people in their 80s. Damn! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now, by contrast, the Republican minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, is 57. The youngest member of the Republican House leadership is 37. So... It's interesting if you think about Democrats and kind of what's happening. Now, certainly I mean, without Pelosi, we would not have had the Affordable Care Act. I think that's probably fair to say, right? Um, but what's interesting is the National Republican Congressional Committee, their poll has shown that she, Pelosi, has a 57% unfavorable rating amongst voters in 85 swing states, swing districts. So James Carville, I don't know if you guys have heard of this guy. He was, if you're from Louisiana, you certainly know who James Carville is. Uh, he was an architect of Bill Clinton's campaign, and he helped him navigate uh, the impeachment. So he was on the Sunday political shows the other week, and he has some tough talk for Democrats. I'm going to play you two different clips here. I think, we're, I think Democrats really need to pay attention to what James Carville said, uh, because it's becoming abundantly clear kind of as you see what's happening politically that Democrats are hungry for change. They're hungry for fresh leadership and they're not happy with where things are today. So take a listen. If you're a part of the Democratic base and you don't care about child poverty, you don't care about hourly workers, then you're, you're, you're really not a Democrat. All right. Now, I think a lot of the Democratic base has not been told or informed of the things that that, that President Biden and, and, and this Congress has accomplished. But th to me, those are the things that that, that if I'm a Democrat, I, I much more care about that than, than some word in a dictionary. 
that 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 children are, are going to bed with a with a full stomach and a and a warm you know a warm house. I care that that somebody an hourly worker is not sitting there working away at seven twenty five an hour. And I see these signs all over, even in Louisiana and South Mississippi, seven hundred dollars sign bonus. Those are those are real accomplishments, and there's something that you can run on. And, you, you, and again, you don't talk about what you didn't get. That, that's mm-hmm. what these Democrats whine too much, Chuck. <laughs> Just quit being a whiny party, and get out there and and fight and tell people what you did, and tell people the exact truth. The Republican Party stands for nothing other than let's relitigate the 2020 election. Oh, let's get back at Jamie Raskin. That's it. That's the entire platform. Is there something? Are Democrats whiny? Hmm. The other thing Carville says is that Democrats are focused on the wrong things and the wrong candidates. Take a listen to this. Longtime Democratic strategist James Carville wants his party to rethink how it organizes and spends money. In an interview with Vox, Carville said this, quote, Jamie Harrison raised over $100 million only to lose his Senate race to Lindsey Graham by 10 points. Amy McGrath runs for Senate in Kentucky, raises over $90 million only to get crushed by Mitch McConnell. They were always going to lose those races, but Democrats keep doing this stupid stuff. They're too damn emotional. Democrats obsess over high-profile races they can't win because that's where all the attention is. We are addicted to hopeless causes. James continues, what about the Secretary of State in Wisconsin or the Attorney General race in Michigan? How much money are Democrats and progressives around the country sending to those candidates? I'm telling you, if Democrats are worried about voting rights and election integrity, then these are the sorts of races they should support and volunteer for because this is where the action is and this is where things will be decided. Joe James never mincing words. Again, talking to his fellow Democrats here in this new Vox interview. Well, he's so right, and and this is something that that uh, you know I, I'm going to start talking about the difference between Republicans so, and Democrats and how they. I mean, I I agree with the point that you've got two those two Senate seats that they knew good and well they were going to lose, and they put unnecessary energy behind them. Um, you know, maybe this is a blueprint for 2022 and for 2024. Actually, focus on races that matter, and they're really going to make a difference, right? We know attorney generals races. Uh, district attorney races, sheriff's races, those are all races that are way more impactful at the local level than that one Senate seat that you know you're not going to win and you pour millions and millions of dollars into. So this is a perfect segue into our next topic about how much elections matter. Uh, The bullying from progressives worked. Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer announced he's going to step down from the high court. But he did say he'll step down after they get through this session and once his replacement has been confirmed. I think that part, that last part's important to note because Breyer is basically saying, you all better get a nominee confirmed uh, to make sure that it doesn't end up going to a Republican again. Right. So now just a reminder that the Supreme Court picks only need a majority vote to be confirmed. This isn't a 60 vote margin. Um, And again, this is a reminder why elections are so important, why the Senate race here in Georgia is so important. And it's one that you should be paying attention to and that we will see a lot, a lot of outside money coming in. And in fact, we already have seen it. 
Herschel Walker. I think he put up numbers of around $5 million. Uh, Senator Warnock has about 20-something million in the bank. And this is only the big, the, well, technically this is the beginning of February, right? And the primary is not until March. So there's going to be a whole lot between now and then. Um, so President Biden, you know that the 2020 campaign was pretty rough, right? It was, we were not sure Biden was going to actually make it. And so South Carolina was the crux. Like that was the part that turned the campaign around. Uh, Representative Jim Clyburn, who I mentioned as a very old uh, member of the Democratic House leadership, but also very influential, uh, he came to Biden and he said, hey, you should pledge to put the first black woman on the Supreme Court. And and Clyburn helped him and worked with him to get uh, Biden to win handedly South Carolina. Biden actually absolutely cleaned house in South Carolina. So Biden does it. He says, okay, I'll make that promise. He did it at a debate. Um, and Clyburn credited that uh, to really boosting black turnout, again, not only in South Carolina, but across the country. Obviously, we know that Biden wins. So two years later, here we are, and there's a possibility uh, for a black woman on the Supreme Court. Biden has said he's going to stand by that pledge. So on average, it takes about 70 days to get a Supreme Court nominee through the process. Now, Amy Comey Barrett, who was the last person that Trump put up, she was confirmed in just 27 days. So some white folks are spazzing uh, that Biden is committed to nominating a black woman. And Republicans are arguing that Biden is politicizing the court. Um, is Biden politicizing the court? You can make that argument, but the reality is uh, Democrats and Republicans have politicized the Supreme Court, right? And no one called it politicizing the court when Reagan said that he was going to, Ronald Reagan said that he was going to name the first woman to the bench. Uh, so there are five black women who were seen as kind of the leading contenders to replace Justice Breyer. Most of these women are double Ivy, meaning they went to Harvard and Yale uh, for undergrad and grad school. Um, so that you know and I know that this isn't tokenism. It's not like he just picked some random black woman across the street. These are women who are you know, high caliber, have been fully vetted, um, very accomplished in their fields. So I would say that any of these women could go up against the folks on the court today. And in fact, some of them might even be more credentialed than people on the court right now. Now, what's interesting is an ABC poll showed that 76% of Americans want Biden to consider, quote, all possible nominees only 23% of him want him to actually follow through with making a black woman uh, the pick on the Supreme Court, the first black woman. But Higher Heights uh, did a poll of 500 black women released the day before Breyer made his announcement. And 86% of the women polled said prioritizing backing a black woman as a Supreme Court nominee uh, was absolutely imperative for them. And so... If Biden backs out, I think it's certainly fair to say that he would lose the support of black women. 
Now, of course, not in totality, but certainly by a significant amount. Um, and it's interesting that you've got conservatives, I mean, calling out Biden saying, well, hey, why aren't you picking the first Hispanic nominee or the first Asian nominee? And this is what I call whataboutism. And it's an attempt to divide, if I've ever seen one, this is just classic, classic, you pit one minority race against another minority race to divide both of them. And it reminds me of, uh, you know, this whole affirmative action case that's in the courts right now that they will soon decide. And I don't know if it's going to be, if it's going to happen in this session or the next one, but that's another one that to keep an eye on, we'll probably, uh, we'll certainly try to update you on that as that case comes along. But again, this is a case that directly impacts black people. And again, it uses minorities to actually try to make the case against affirmative actions. Action is using particularly Asian Americans uh, as the impetus to get a, to move away from having affirmative action. We are down to our final portion of the podcast, our new favorite segment, the party pooper. Party pooper. <laughs> And the party starter of the week. Party starter! So. Turn out the lights. The party's over. The party is over. Close the gates. What? All right. Party's over. Everyone go home. Are you sure you want to invite this party pooper to poop on your party? I'm the party pooper. My party pooper of the week goes to conservatives who were on this book banning crusade. What the heck is this about? So these are the same folks who espouse themselves to be diehard constitutionalists. They, you know, they uh, say that we're against cancel culture and all of that. And here they are trying to cancel books. So what is this? It's an effort that's happening across the country to ban certain books from school libraries. And again, isn't this the whole point of the First Amendment? So a Tennessee County school board voted to remove an award-winning graphic novel on the Holocaust because of nudity and curse words. Hello, have you spent any time with middle and high schoolers? <laughs> have you been on social media, on TikTok, on Instagram? I can assure you what's happening on there is much worse than what's in this book. And by the way, the book is selling like crazy on Amazon, of course. <laughs> so... Uh, it's just nutty. I mean, they've, they're banning books by black authors. They're banning books by gay authors. It's just this whole tirade. Uh, and it's a reminder that those in power are far more interested in culture wars than they are critical thinking. Let's get it started in For our party starter of the week, this one's kind of serious, but it's important. Uh, the party starter award goes to the sponsors of the bipartisan Georgia House Bill 1005, and that is sponsored by state reps Misha Maynor, Katie Dempsey, Beth Camp, Marvin Lim, and Rebecca Mitchell. And this bill would make mandatory suicide screenings 
a recurring part of uh, the routine for new for the new school year. So there's a lot of work to be done to make sure that the bill has the right you know language in it that schools will be asking the right questions and that the information is stored in a safe uh, private manner. But it is an important step uh, and a conversation starter about how we address mental health needs, uh, particularly for young people. We've talked about this before on the pod. According to the CDC, in 2009, suicide was the second leading cause of death among children and adolescents. Those are folks aged 13 and 19. Uh, And then the second leading cause of death among, or the leading causing death, rather, among 13-year-olds. And then uh, that Harvard report I mentioned from a couple episodes ago that showed a number, like an insane number of kids, um, even though they have not committed suicide, they have certainly seriously contemplated it. Uh, you know, I, just, I was reading this and thinking about uh, the Miss USA 2019 um, woman who just committed suicide. And so there's clearly like something going on in the atmosphere around it. And so I'm glad that there's a bill um, in in the house to think through and talk about how we save kids uh, and help them feel that there is a better path and that there are brighter days ahead. All right, y'all, that is our show. If you are celebrating, happy Chinese Lunar New Year and happy Black History Month. All right, y'all. Have a good one.